we have our traffickers or drug dealers telling us that people are <laughs> buying now their their uh, illegal narcotics with uh, a dose of fentanyl. Welcome to the 33 Methamphetamine, A Love Story. I'm your host, Dr. David Nelson. Of course, my academic friend here, Dr. Rashi Shukla, is joining us on the show as always. This podcast is all based on her book, Methamphetamine, A Love Story. But we are taking a little switch here, going to take a little pivot. Dr. Shukla visited Los Angeles several weeks ago, and we are continuing our series with Lost Angeles. Lost Angeles, a city that is battling with a reality, and that is meth, drugs, gangs, violence, things that Dr. Shukla experienced while visiting Los Angeles in the Helen Beck division there in LA. Dr. Shukla, again, thank you for joining us as you always do, but wow, what a visit and what an experience you had when you went to Los Angeles. Yes, David. And to say that this was and is a highlight of my academic career is an understatement. Academics don't get invited to do, you know, pretty much full access ride-alongs with divisions like the LAPD Hollenbeck division. And so I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of people. And today's episode, we're going to start sharing some of the conversation that I was able to have with a undercover narcotics detective who has been on the streets battling methamphetamine for many, many years and was kind and compassionate and gracious enough to be willing to sit down with a scholar and share just basically a conversation about what she's facing on the front lines with methamphetamine and drugs in her community. And this will be part one. So there will be a couple of series, part one, of course, part two with our guest, Detective Garcia. Well, let's look at this news story. We typically look at a news story and this again is a uh, related story to meth. And this was a graduate student, a 46 year old graduate student in Illinois at Southern Illinois University. So Dr. Shukla, you got a little bit on that story. What can you share regarding this one? You know, one of my colleagues uh, forwarded the story to me when she, you know, knew that we were going to record this podcast. And it basically is about a graduate chemistry student from Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville who was busted for operating a meth lab on the college campus in Illinois. And just, you know, ironically, he was listed as a 2018 award winner for physical chemistry at the university. And when police started tracking him, you know, a professor kind of got tipped off that there was something suspicious going on in the building. And they, when they looked at his records, he had tried to make 365 pseudoephedrine purchases in the last 10 years and had been blocked from making them 45 times. And just to remind um, anybody listening to this, those tracking systems for pseudoephedrine pseudoephedrine originated here in Oklahoma with the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs in 2004 and then went federal in 2005. Here's a little bit more on that story from Fox 2 Now in Illinois. Madison County Court records say an SIUE professor saw something suspicious in the Science West building this past Thanksgiving break and that spectrometer testing discovered alleged byproducts of meth making. 45-year-old Smalling was a graduate research assistant at the time. He's listed as winning the 2018 award for physical chemistry at the university. 
Police got a judge to sign off on a search warrant to put a GPS tracker on the defendant's car reportedly parked here at his apartment complex on Puma Boulevard. SIUE police brought in the regional drug task force known as MEGZI. And our agent on the MEGZI really picked it up and ran with it. So really it's a collaborative effort. Dr. Shukla, again, a very interesting story there out of Illinois as a graduate student, one of their brightest students, <laughs> award-winning student, creating meth there in their own labs there at the university. Let's now turn to Detective Garcia. You had a wonderful visit with Detective Garcia, but she really, really laid down some really interesting challenges they have there in Los Angeles. But first of all, you, you can maybe give us a little background about Detective Garcia. Yes, you know, I had the fortune of meeting her when I had visited LA a few years ago and just went on a tour of Holland Beck. And then when I came back this time, I wasn't really sure. It was a very, you know, exploratory experience where I was just open for anything. So I didn't know who would be willing to talk to me, if anybody would be willing to talk to me. And when the first day I got there, Sergeant Moore told me that Detective Garcia was willing to sit down with me. I had brought my consent form, my questions, my notes. And when she walked in the room, I literally looked at her and I said, you know what, let's just have a conversation. And I didn't look at anything. And it was really one of the first times that we just free flowed, you know, heart to heart to people in completely different worlds who have been facing meth, um, sit down and have a conversation about it. And so Detective Garcia grew up in Hollenbeck. Her family immigrated to um, the United States from Mexico. And, you know, she lived in that community for a while, uh, originally wanting to be a teacher and then some of her friends after college, you know, joined the Los Angeles Police Department and kind of encouraged her to become, you know, a police officer. She joined the police department about 20 years ago, which is just coincidentally about the time that I started my career here at the university. And most of that time, within a few years of joining, she came back and started working at the Hall and Beck Division. Dr. Shukla, when you first started interviewing her, she really was very open as far as the challenges that she faces as a detective in, of course, fighting crime, but also fighting the meth addiction and other addictions there in the Los Angeles area. And she also described this crime of meth addiction as victimless, because that is what they're being told, right, from right. the politicians' perspectives. Here's what she had to say regarding those two items. It's been a really, it's been a challenge, actually because you don't have just the forces out there against you, but it's the whole system. Yes. It's the judicial system. It's the, uh, the our leaders, our politicians, right. and unfortunately our communities are not being helped. I don't think so. And we've tried, we, we tried, we tried, we tried um, encouraging our, uh, um, our, the crime that we deal with is a, considered to be a victimless crime. Right. It's it's uh, nobody <laughs> nobody is affected by it. Right. It's what they tell us. Right. Uh, but uh, the reality of all this is that even if I don't use drugs, I'm being affected by it. 
Anybody who's been impacted by drugs will tell you the effect of drug abuse and addiction or substance use disorder goes far beyond the individuals that are involved. And one of the most surprising um, aspects of my visit, you know, not only to the Los Angeles Police Department, but to many of the law, law enforcement agencies that I've visited over the years is meeting individuals on the front lines battling these drugs, whether they're police officers or undercover narcotics detectives or any position who have personal contacts with individuals who have suffered from, you know, substance abuse. And so Detective Garcia even talked about that she had family members who had been, you know, impacted by meth and, you know, thankfully they were able to get out of it. But there were multiple individuals that I met during my LAPD visit who disclosed to me that they had either current or former family members who had been addicted. And so it is a very personal thing and it impacts, it touches everybody that is around it. Dr. Shukla, Detective Garcia goes into your interview discussing a gateway drug, specifically cannabis. What does the research say about gateway drugs? You know, it's, it's a mixed set of findings. You know, a lot of times individuals will start their illicit drug journey with marijuana, but some of the stage, the research on drug stage initiation shows us, and some of the interviews that I've done over the years where I ask people, you know, was, you know, was marijuana a gateway, tells us that some of the real gateways are alcohol and tobacco. You know, most of the individuals in the research I've ever done start with illicit substances like alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana tends to come in between that and the illicit drugs. So it just depends on what you look at. But it's it's definitely not as clear as we want to want to say it is. Um, and of course, everything's changing now because we have medical, you know, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana being legalized in states. Nobody thinks that marijuana is the gateway to other drugs, but it is. Right. It is the gateway to other drugs. Because once marijuana doesn't bring that high that they're looking for, they go on to other things. Uh, what other things? Cocaine, uh, rock cocaine, methamphetamine, um, heroin, um, you name it. Fentanyl, now the most dangerous drug right now. Dr. Shukla, she goes into telling you a story about a family who is directly affected by meth addiction in the family and uh, share a little bit about that story. Well, you know, a lot of times people in the public do not have access to family members who are impacted by methamphetamine. And Detective Garcia was haunted. I mean, she mentioned this multiple times during our conversation, was haunted by this wife of someone who she called, quote unquote, a regular, meaning that someone who's known to law enforcement has been, you know, had contacts with them over methamphetamine multiple times. And the wife literally shows up at the department and says, can you help me find my husband? And, you know, this isn't some young kid. This is an older man with a family. And here this wife is coming to her directly and saying, can you help me. I haven't seen him. I can't find him. And while this family had, you know, once been in Hollenbeck and he became a meth user and then they moved away, they moved far away. In fact, he had since returned to resume his drug activities. And then here's this wife begging her, help me. And she was called, I think, November 30th by this woman. And she had not seen her husband since Thanksgiving. So he was chasing a meth high, which I do. I remember my ex-wife 15 to 20 years ago, she did, she would do the same thing. She would just continue to be gone for days. 
Right. And, and she, the whole family would just be completely worried. Yeah. And, and this lady actually came to her, the department to meet her and talk to her on the day that we had that conversation saying, help me find my husband. So it's, it's very sad because it's very prevalent. It's very here. It is very now. Here in L.A., it's here, here not just LA. Oklahoma. You're facing it here in Los Angeles, yes. one of in the biggest cities in our country. And this is just uh, 24 square mile. Jesse, we're 24 square mile, correct? It's just this area, 24 square mile, where we have Lincoln Heights, Boyle Heights, El Sereno. And it's sad because this is what's happening in this little area here. And you can imagine what's happening at downtown, what's happening in East LA, what's happening in the Valley, what's happening in South Central LA. And it's not just meth, it's, it's rock cocaine, you know, but because meth is, is cheaper. Okay. It's made anywhere and everywhere, mm -hmm. and now we have an open border, so we have laughs everywhere. We you even labs. have labs here still? We we haven't had encountered any labs in, in here in in uh, in South in in uh, Hollenbeck, but we've we've have had labs. We've gone to labs. Oh, I've personally gone to labs in the Valley, um, in uh, South Central. That's where I have been to labs. But um, East LA may have some. Uh, I know our lab um, uh, squad goes everywhere in the county of LA. Wow. So. And they, they do. Um, unfortunately, the times that they respond is when they have, there's been explosions, you know, or something has happened. You know, Dr. Nelson, and even though our podcast really focuses on methamphetamine and a lot of my research has, it's important to notice and to recognize that it's not just one drug or one drug problem. And increasingly, we're seeing that there are mixing of some drugs with other drugs. And so we've talked about that before, and some of our guests have in previous episodes. And, and Detective Garcia was able to shed light on some of that diversity that exists within this drug problem that we're facing in this country. In a different communities, it's different. Uh, it, it's a different choice of drug. In South Central, I found myself dealing with rock cocaine, mainly uh, some heroin. In um, in the valley, I, I it was a lot of it cocaine and a lot of it meth. And then here in uh, Hollenbeck uh, neighborhoods, it's mainly uh, meth and some heroin. Very little uh, PCP. And now the, the unfortunate thing is that they're mixing because they can't get that enough, that, that, that high enough now. We have our tra traffickers, our drug dealers telling us that people are <laughs> buying now their, their uh, illegal narcotics with uh, a dose of fentanyl. And that's why we're having a problem of overdosing. People are, um, maybe they're just not in, have that tolerance right. yet, and it's too brand new for them. So we have had a few deaths um, where it's been due to overdose because of fentanyl. And the overdoses could be fentanyl by itself or fentanyl mixed with something like meth or cocaine it, or something it's been fentanyl with uh, with heroin for example and fentanyl with cocaine and fentanyl with meth 
Dr. Shukla, we cannot avoid talking about gangs. Gangs and the cartel are working together, according to Detective Garcia. What did she say about that? Well, you know, she starts talking about all of the different gangs and the gang activity in Hollenbeck Division. But just to bring this home to even us in Oklahoma or anywhere, you know, we've seen that gang activity has been, you know, played a huge role in the infiltration of drugs and the facilitation of this problem across the country. So she talks about how the gang industry controls this drug and and really sheds light on this concept of taxes that she goes more into. They say that narco is a victimless crime, really? Well, who controls the trade? The gang members do. And even if you are a person that is using meth or whatever other drug may be, and um, you're trying to make ends meet so you can you you know sell so you can use right you're going to be taxed by that gang in that area and if you're not being taxed by the gang in that area you're lucky they don't know that you're selling you know one of the things that people need to understand is that when you have something like gangs controlling an area there is fear there is intimidation and there is violence and so one of the interesting things that i learned was you know this idea of people reporting things only anonymously because of fear of retaliation so are the complaints we get are uh, anonymous complaints because people feel intimidated. They feel intimidated if if they assist or they help the community, the police department, or even our senior leads, like Jesse here. Um, they there will be some kind of uh, negative uh, uh, act against them from if not the gang member, someone that the gang members will say. And they control, I, I, it's my opinion, in, in, in working in 2004, working with the black gangs, working with the Hispanic gangs, working with a, a little bit of the bike gangs in, in the valley, they control the uh, distribution sales of narcotics. Uh, the cartels are now working with these gangs to distribute. So it's a major problem that, and then going back to what do I do? We do the little stuff. We help our community. We we tend to their needs. We adhere to their, uh, their concerns, you know, that, hey, you know, why, we have to live here like this in fear. Detective Garcia also discusses the judicial system, another barrier, if you will, that makes their jobs a little more difficult. What did she say about that, Dr. Shukla? Well, you know, she, as one of the people on the front lines, you know, does her part in a system that's comprised of policing, courts, and corrections. And oftentimes, and we've not just heard this with Detective Garcia, but with law enforcement that we've interviewed in Oklahoma, that they do their part to try to get gather evidence, try to make cases, and to try to forward cases to the system. But oftentimes, there's failures that occur within the at the criminal justice system level. 
But our judicial system is not working. It's a revolving door. Mm-hmm. It's a revolving door where we do our work, we write our search warrants, we do whatever we need to do to get that um, that person arrested, detained, arrested. We uh, recover evidence of the crime, sales. We present our case. And what happens? Nothing. Zero bail. We present it to the district attorney for felony charges. Sometimes they are. Uh, they, they go to a pre, uh, prelim or trial. Very, very little. Um, the, the, I think um, it doesn't, we don't have too many cases, but some of them are kicked down to city attorney. So it's, it discourages to continue, but we can, we, we try to go beyond and look beyond the tunnel, a light, and just try to help our community. Dr. Shukla, there's a lot of evidence that suggests theft, burglaries, you name it, are associated with drug use. Right. And we've seen a lot of movement because we don't really know how to respond to this problem. We've seen movement in California and Oklahoma and other states where we basically are like decriminalizing drugs and where we're, you know, for example, in Oklahoma, you know, it's a misdemeanor went from being able to steal $500 and now they made it a thousand and it's still a misdemeanor. And so at the policy level, we're not really paying attention to these drug crimes that are linked directly and indirectly to drugs and addiction. I feel that it has gotten worse and it has gotten worse because there's no accountability. Uh, Our politicians, our um, judicial system sees, again, narcotics as a victimless crime. There's no, but who's doing all the robberies and why? Who's doing all the burglaries and why? Who's um, breaking into vehicles and why? Is that person that has that addiction and needs to exchange? I mean, we go to some RVs and we serve our warrants at some RVs or do probation searches at these RVs. And what do you see in there? You see radios, car stereos, you see uh, drills, you see things that people have, tools, you see um, blow, you know, blow dryers. You see all kinds of things that don't belong there. And you know they don't belong there. And why are they there? Because somebody broke in somebody's house, somebody's car. And they went and they took that item to exchange for meth, for fentanyl, for heroin. But what we see most here in Hollenbeck is methamphetamine. Dr. Shukla, you had an experience where you had the opportunity to go to a crime scene and which later became a homicide. Can you share a little bit about that story as far as uh, what you experienced? Because we talked a little bit about it in the last podcast. Right. My first day of the ride along, the very first um, event that we went to, for lack of a better word, was a homicide scene where a 27 year old had been shot in a public street. 
um, you know, early, early in the morning. And it didn't start off as a homicide. When they took him to the hospital, he was alive. By the time we got there a little after 8 a.m., you know, there was still blood on the sidewalk and he had died at the hospital and he had been shot like in front of a bakery. And, you know, as I kind of mentioned a little bit in our last episode, Hollenbeck Division had had their 38th homicide of the year in that 24 square miles. And I remember the first time I saw that 38, I was like, well, that's not really a lot, but for a 24 square mile area, it is a lot. And so Detective Garcia and I talked a little bit about that homicide that had occurred that morning. Sure, we don't know. We don't, we, we, well, I can only guess that it's gang related to two guys come in and from a car, they approach the guy and shoot him in the head and the arm. Execution. I think it's gang related. Why? Maybe he didn't pay his taxes. And when you're saying taxes, you're not saying taxes like I pay taxes. No. You're just saying like money that you have to pay for operating or conducting business in an area that's controlled by someone else. Kind that's of. Correct. Yes. That's yes. my uneducated Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's um, you sell a a certain amount of drugs and then you either pay a monthly tax or you pay a weekly tax to the the gang that or the person that controls that area. And if you don't, there will be consequences. Yes, there'll be consequences. So there's consequences on their side, but there's not consequences on our side. You know, as I talked to Detective Garcia, you know, I kept asking her, you know, so giving up is not an option. And and she said it can't be. And it was just fascinating because she said it can't be for you or for me. And it was just humbling that she found value in the work that you and I and so many others are also doing on the front lines, Dr. Nelson. Because our communities have no one else. Because our politicians are not there to help them. Right which is very hard to understand. I don't understand why. If in Beverly Hills or in San Francisco, just just Newsom or whoever was able to clean San Francisco because the Chinese uh, president was coming, he was able to clean it up in that moment. Why? Why for him and not for the community that lives there that pays taxes? Dr. Shukla, you can hear how passionate she is. You can hear her banging the desk when she was talking to you. But Dr. Shukla, Detective Garcia, very open in her interview with you. She's very clear on why drugs are so rampant. Money. One word. It is all about money. That's why people do it. Sell it. Manufacture it. Yes. And, you know, there's so much money being made. And, you know, what we've even learned from the stories with my, you know, former manufacturers, it was money, it was power. And when I talked to her, I even said, these are some of the same motivations and draws that motivate even high profile white collar offenders. So of course we see the attraction or the seduction of money, power, profit, and everything that goes with it. It's money. It's all about money. It's, it's a profit because that's what money is what their trade is drugs for these gangs. Money allows them to buy status, allows them to buy cars, allows them to buy um, weapons, weapons to fight other gangs, weapons to fight us. 
you know, to protect themselves. And it's all about money. It's all, it's from Mexico, cartel, China, bringing in the, yeah. you know, precursors. Of at every fentanyl, level. At every level. People are making money. And yeah, somebody's making money. Dr. Shukla, again, a wonderful interview with Detective Garcia at the Holland Beck Division there in Los Angeles. However, we're not done. We're going to have a part two coming up in our next episode. So we have a little bit more to go through in your interview that you had with Detective Garcia. Yeah, at this point, we're about halfway through the conversation that we have, and she continued to shed light on so many aspects of this issue that are important for us to acknowledge and understand before we can try to find solutions that might actually be effective. So I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you in the next episode, Dr. Nelson. Well, make sure you join us. We are so thankful that you listen to Methamphetamine, A Love Story. And again, thank you again for listening and be looking out for, of course, part number two with our detective guest, Detective Garcia.